I was seated on my porch one spring evening in May, and I was enjoying the distant thunder, the gentle breeze that was ushering in the rain, <clears throat> the change of weather from a hot day to a cool evening, and the breezes were blowing. It was thundering out there, but the sun was still setting over there. A perfect end to a busy day. When out of the corner of my right eye, I saw what I thought was a lightning bug begin to fly into my line of vision. I thought, wow, what, what's this? What's happening? And as I looked, I realized, oh, this is not a lightning bug. This is a spider. And my first instance was to swat, and my second was, wait, why is a spider in midair just moving into my line of vision? What is going on? So I began to look at it more closely, and I realized the spider wasn't flying, as I first thought this insect was, but it was maneuvering. And he was maneuvering at the end of a long thread of silk. And while I thought he was kind of maneuvering without purpose, I realized that there was great intentionality to his maneuvering. Because while he was on this end of his thread of silk, I watched and noticed that the thread of silk went the whole way up to the corner of my porch roof. And he was very deliberately climbing his thread of silk, working his way up into the corner of the porch. And I realized what was so refreshing to me, the blowing breezes, they were rocking the world of this little spider. Because he's on the end of his silk, being blown every direction, trying to get back to a place of stability and safety, tucked up in the corner of the porch, away from the breeze that was blowing his silk. I thought, wow, that's how life feels a lot of times. And I thought about storms. And while there was a thunderstorm brewing on the horizon that I was enjoying, this storm was wrecking havoc for the spider who was attempting to get to safety. And You know, as you look around the world today, there are winds that are rocking your world from time to time. And maybe your world is being rocked right now by what you would call a storm. And you might feel like you are the one hanging by a thread, about to be blown off course, blown away from your anchor. How can you hang on to your thread of silk? How can you survive the storms that blow all around you today? What is the wind that blows you? What is it that rocks your boat, that shakes your core and rattles our world today? It could be a number of storms, but I believe that as we think about storms, 
there are two types of storms. The first type of storm is the storm around us. And this is a picture that I used last night as I talked about the hurricane that my wife and I lived through. Storms happen all around us, and they leave our world shattered and destroyed and upset and out of sorts. Something like a natural disaster, something like a political or national crisis might be what you call a storm. A school shooting, immigration conflicts, a manhunt may feel like a storm happening around you. And those storms around us can be quite unsettling. And I would also say that the storms around us are not isolated to single traumatic events that take place, but it, it feels like there's simply a storm brewing every day as we look around our world and observe the erosion of truth. The Barna Research Group did some research on what it's like to live in a post-Christian society. And they've identified a few statistics that I believe put together feel like the storm around us. Barna would say that fewer than half of all adults can name the four Gospels. Many professing Christians can't identify more than two or three of the disciples of Jesus. 60% of Americans cannot name five of the Ten Commandments. 82% of Americans believe God helps those who help themselves is a Bible verse. 12% of adults believe that Joan of Arc was Noah's wife. A survey of graduating high school seniors revealed that over 50% thought Sodom and Gomorrah were married and they were husband and wife. Some believe that Billy Graham was the one who preached the Sermon on the Mount. Six out of ten Americans reject the existence of Satan. And by the statistics, you can tell that this was research done here in the United States. Four out of ten Americans believe that when Jesus was on earth, he committed sin. Five out of ten believe that anyone who's generally good or does enough of good things during their life earns a spot in heaven. 40% believe that the Bible, Quran, and Book of Mormon are all different expressions of the same truth. Seven out of ten born-again Christians say they don't really believe in moral absolutes. And one, only one out of ten Christians base their moral decision-making on principles in the Word of God. 54% believe truth is discovered by logic, human reasoning, and personal experience. Now, those statistics might seem small, they might seem trivial to you, they might seem a little too detailed to have any impact, but put together, I would like to state that the, uh, what it is that we believe impacts what it is that we do. And so if truth has eroded and we no longer believe what's true, then it follows that we would no longer live the right way. And we would no longer live according to truth. And that's the storm around us that we're experiencing. We, we see evidence of that. We feel the pressure of a society that has decided to let truth go in exchange for personal experience, in exchange 
for um, personal enlightenment and perspective. So the storm around us takes place in many forms, but we feel storms like that. We feel that pressure. We feel the world shaking on what it used to be grounded firmly upon. 2 Timothy 3.1 says, In the last days perilous times shall come. 2 Timothy 3.13, But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. That's a storm that we're encountering, that we're watching, that we're experiencing. The storm around us. I would present, though, that there's a second type of storm, not just the storm around us, but there's also the storm that takes place within us. And this is the same, another photo from last evening, but a photo of inside of our house after the hurricane. And there are not only storms that impact the world out there around us, but we face storms that are personal, storms that take place in our hearts, storms that take place in our minds, storms that take place within our families, within our neighborhoods, within our context. We identify with the struggle that Paul speaks about in Romans chapter 7, 18 to 25, where he describes the inner struggle. What it is that I don't want to do, I end up doing. And what I really want to do and know that I should be doing, I don't do it. And and I feel this war raging within me, the struggle of of the flesh versus the spirit. And and I get it wrong so often. And Paul concludes by saying, what a wretched man I am. But he continues to describe God's answer to our wretchedness. And so we feel storms that have to do with the struggle of sin. We feel storms that come from prolonged illness, grief, and sorrow over a death or a failed relationship, a terminal disease, a child that's decided to toss their faith in exchange for a different experience. Storms where we wrestle with such ungodly counter-spiritual temptations like lust or the desire to just spend money unwisely or anger or ungratefulness for God's blessings. Or doubts. Can God really forgive me? Has God really forgiven me? If others knew everything about me there is to know, would they forgive me? And and we, we face these storms that strike at our core at times and, and rattle our faith and leave us wondering, has God forgiven me? Has God offered His salvation for me? Really? And sometimes we fear that, you know what, if the days weren't shortened, we probably wouldn't even make it in God's elect, as God describes. And we're left with this question, will the thread that I'm hanging on to last? Or is it going to break? Because it feels like everything else is broken. It feels like everything else is shaking. And we're the little spider at the end of our silk being blown back and forth by storms around us and storms within us that impact us closely and deeply. Will you survive? 
can I survive? And if so, on what basis does our faith rest? Storms around us and storms within us, what is it that we can hang on to? What is it that might be our thread of silk? And to what might it be anchored to give us confidence to keep hanging on? Let's turn to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. Thank you for the water. I would like to read the last couple of verses of chapter 4 because chapter 4 describes for us a storm that Abraham faced. And I believe this was a storm that was quite personal, a, a storm within him that he needed to face. And we'll see what sustained Abraham, and then as we move into chapter 5, discover what can sustain us in our storm. Today, I would like us to understand the attributes of God's grace, because that's what keeps us standing in our storms. So as we know the attributes of God's grace, they can keep us standing, because you and I do face storms. You, we will face storms. And I was struck this weekend thinking about this message again. You know, right now, I kind of have a, a context for the storms that I've faced. And, and I could say something like, yes, you know, I face storms. But you might look at my context and say, Daryl, you haven't faced storms. You should hear about my storms. And you know what? That could very well be true. I, I concede that. But there are also people living who would look at your storm and say, you haven't faced storms. You should hear about my storms. And so in one sense, this feels immature and unsafe to talk about God's grace for storms only having my experience. Because I've not faced your storm. But I want all of us to, to lay aside the comparison of storms Wherever you're at, whatever the storm has been, chances are there's a bigger one coming. For me, for you, chances are, though, that what we're going to discover about facing storms will still be true when the bigger storm comes. Because Jesus said, I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. So what we're going to look at today is eternal. Your storm is not eternal. Your storm has a limit, it has a boundary, because it takes place within time. And time is not eternal. Time will end, and will enter eternity. Romans chapter 4, verse 18. Abraham, who against hope believed in hope, that he might become the father of many nations, according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, Abraham considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. Abraham staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. And being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. And therefore it was imputed to Abraham for righteousness. Now, it was not written for Abraham's sake alone that it was imputed to him, 
but for us also to whom it shall be imputed. If we believe on Him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. So Abraham's storm is that he and his wife have never had any children. And God has said, Abraham, there's descendants coming your way, and they're going to come through you and Sarah, and a son. And I will multiply your descendants through your son. And Abraham says, wow, how is that possible? I'm a hundred. My body should be dead. My wife's womb. And it's not just that Sarah's womb was done bearing children. It had never been opened. And God said, it will be opened. And she's 90 and Abraham's 100. And God says, there will be a son. Wow. And there's a son. And then God says, the son must die. I would like you to sacrifice the son. And there's where I see the storm becoming very personal for Abraham. Wow. The promise that was so incredible that God fulfilled, God's now asking me to put to death the promised son, death. Hebrews 11 gives us a window into how confident Abraham was, though, about God's promise. Hebrews 11 says that Abraham believed that if God really was asking him to kill Isaac, then apparently God must going to be, then apparently God's going to raise him from the dead. So Abraham was going to go through with what God was asking, saying, God, the only way for you to keep your promise by asking me to kill Isaac is to raise him from the dead again. So I guess if that's what you want to happen, we'll make it happen. And it says Abraham believed God. And that choice to believe was counted to him as righteousness. That demonstration of faith Faith in God's promise was imputed to Abraham for righteousness. But not just to Abraham. This story is told because Scripture goes on to say that our choice and our decision to continue to believe in the face of impossibility is a demonstration of our faith and demonstrates and is a way God imputes righteousness to us as well. That's incredible. Choosing to believe when there isn't anything to believe in. How do you believe in death? How do you believe and put your hope in a dead son? But Abraham did. And Abraham made that choice. So let's move into Romans chapter 5 and consider these attributes of God's grace so that we can continue standing whether you're facing the storm around you or the storm within you. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So here's Abraham's story. His faith, his choice, his righteousness. And now at the very end of chapter 4, we're told that Jesus was delivered for our offenses and raised again so that we can be justified and therefore being justified by faith. So the first attribute of God's grace that I see here that's at work is this idea that we are justified 
by faith. We have to decide whether we're willing to trust that the thread of God's grace that we're clinging to, we have to decide whether to trust that that's anchored in something we can't see, in something that's bigger than us. And I so often look at the rope, and I'm like, wow, that's getting frayed. That's getting thin. I don't think it's going to, to last. And God's saying, don't look at the rope. Do you still believe that the rope is attached to something bigger than your storm? And for the little spider dangling on the end, his world was rocking back and forth, but his thread was connected to my porch. And the porch was not rocking back and forth. It was stable. It was firm. It was secure. And I believe our choice to believe and our decision to continue to keep our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is a decision to place our trust in something bigger than ourselves, bigger than our storm, and bigger than the wind that's rocking our world. Our choice to believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and God's provision for us is key to our demonstration of faith. We have to believe that God took action for us. Justified by faith. The second attribute of grace that I see here, we are justified by faith. And secondly, the end of verse 1 says, we have peace with God through Jesus. This provides a peace with God that is only possible through the work of Jesus. And His death was described, His resurrection was described, and His ongoing work in our lives. And this peace in God is not a, I'm so happy about my storm. Yay, I have peace. No, because storms aren't happy. I'm not happy in the midst of storms. It's not necessarily a joy that comes because there's no storm, but it's a confidence that in the storm, there's this knowledge that things are okay between God and I because... I'm hanging on to my thread, and that's connected to God. And the thread is His grace for what I face. We will weather the storm together. I don't need to do it on my own. Now, I don't always feel peace with my circumstances. I don't always feel at peace with situations around. And you know, I think one of the greatest storms is when the storm around us becomes that intense that we begin to doubt whether God does remember us or know who we are, and the external storm becomes an internal storm. And I question, wow, God, do you know what you're doing? And will you come through? And the storm out there sometimes creates storms within, and we, we doubt our connection to God we doubt our, our faith in God at times. Sometimes we doubt our salvation. We doubt God's design. I appreciated the introduction, Brother Dave. God has, has created us fearfully and wonderfully. Sometimes we doubt that God knew what He was doing when He created us. And we wrestle with things like identity, and we wrestle with um, assurance that, that God has saved us. But that's where our faith and the thread of silk that we're hanging on to 
comes in. Because the other end of your thread is, is in the hands of Jesus. And he's hanging tightly to the grace that he's offered you. That's the rope that you're hanging on. And so the third attribute, yes, we are justified by faith. Yes, there's a peace, a confidence that God doesn't let go of his end of the rope. There's a peace there. And thirdly, in verse 2, by whom, this is speaking about Jesus, by whom we have access by our faith into this grace wherein we stand. This is where the thread comes in. The grace that keeps us standing. It's not your strength that keeps you standing. It's not your wisdom and fortitude and determination that keeps you standing when the storm is blowing. It's the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ by which we stand. God's gift of grace is not something that I deserve, not something I can earn, something I do need to accept. I think it's helpful for me to think about God's grace in two different ways. Scripture speaks about a saving grace. For by grace we are saved through faith. Not of ourselves, it's a gift of God. That's Ephesians 2.8. So I think of God's grace as being a saving grace. A grace to experience forgiveness and cleansing from sin. But I also think of God's grace as being an enabling grace. As Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So an enabling grace that sustains us in the midst of the storm. A saving grace that reconciles us with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's that grace wherein we stand. Saved by faith. Peace with God. Access to grace. Several years ago, I had the privilege of visiting Chicago with my family. And one of my childhood memories was when my parents took me and my brother up into the Sears Tower in Chicago. I believe at that time it was the tallest building. This is many years later. It's no longer the Sears Tower. Last I knew it was the Willis Tower. In 2009, a London-based insurance broker, the Willis Group Holdings, leased the most significant portion of office space, and with that lease, obtained the rights to name the building. And so it's become the Willis Tower, especially since Sears um, had expired in 2003 there. Their naming rights had expired in 2003. 108 stories tall, 1,729 feet high. Now, if you look really, really closely, way up here at the top, that's okay, way up there at the top, it was working, you'll see four tiny little bumps at the very top of the building. When I was a child, those tiny little bumps on the building weren't there. Now, as an adult, they are. So when we made our way to the top, now, my wife doesn't like heights. So she was having her own internal storm 
on what was supposed to be a beautiful family vacation. And uh, we went to the top and discovered that those little bumps are actually um, glass windows that were built out of the side of the tower. So now instead of being at the top looking out a window, you could actually step out onto a glass floor with glass sides and a glass roof and a glass base and just be dangling over the town of the city of Chicago. See, some of you are like my wife. You're like, absolutely, I would never do that. Well, you'll notice there's only a couple of us on the photo. And someone had to take the picture. So it was so nice that my wife offered to do that. But that was, there we were, up at the top. Now, on another visit to the same tower, I was with a few friends, and we were in Chicago for a, an educator's conference. We went to the top as well. And I was looking out one side of the Sears, of the Willis Tower, and this is what I saw. That guy was on the outside of the tower. Otherwise, I probably would have squashed him if I could have. But he's on the outside of the Willis Tower. And what's happening to him? Well, you'll notice the weather is cloudy because it's overcast. It was raining. There was a storm out there on parts of, of Chicago. At least, at least it was rainy weather. And there he was, on the outside, content, fine, enjoying his life. Somehow he had crawled to the top of the Willis Tower. And how did he stay there? His threads of silk. He had a little web. He had a little support system. He had some stability in the midst of what I would call <laughs> instability. 1,700 feet in the air on the outside of the Willis Tower. Not stability. But there he was. And he was anchored. And he was secure. And he was fixed. And life was continuing for Mr. Spider. The end of verse 2 states that it is this grace that keeps us standing. And so today, whether you are facing a storm around you or a storm within you, whether your storm is because of your own sin or bad decisions you've made that has wrecked havoc in your life, or whether your storm is circumstances beyond your control, a storm that you're experiencing because of someone else and their decision, whether it's a global storm or a personal storm, Remember, God's grace continues to be the gift that's offered. And it's that grace that will keep you standing. The thread does not break. It's strong because it's anchored in the work and person of Jesus Christ. And as long as you hang on, as long as you hold on tightly and don't let go to what God has done, then I can assure you that yes, your world might rock. It might blow. But God's grace doesn't break. 
Hang on. Hold on tightly. It's when you let go that life really unravels. And you can choose to let go. You probably know people who have let go and said, the ride at the end of this rope could never produce stability. I'm going to have to find something else. And it's unfortunate because there's always an end of God's grace that's anchored in the work and person of Jesus Christ, His finished work on the cross, His resurrection, and His eternal promise to call those His children who accept His invitation to be in His family. Hold on. And finally in verse 3, I'm sorry, the very end of verse 2 yet, it says that, yes, we're justified by faith. Yes, we have peace with God. Yes, we have access to faith. Yes, it's grace that keeps us standing. The fifth attribute is we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. This is, this is a paradox. How do we rejoice in a storm? How do we rejoice when our world is being blown every direction? It says we're not rejoicing in the storm. We're not rejoicing in stability, but we're rejoicing in something bigger than all of that. And that's hope. We're rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God. Storms are not happy times. We don't put them on our calendars and celebrate them. Yay, the anniversary of my storm's coming up. We remember them. And we remember them with sadness at times and grief. And it reopens emotions. But what is it that we rejoice in? We rejoice because of hope. In the midst of the raging storms, as we're battered to and fro, we can still know that our hope is in the right place. Our hope is in a secure place. Our hope is that God has promised to receive glory when we hold on tightly to His grace. We may not see the clouds breaking. We may not see the light at the end of the tunnel. But we know that it's coming. We know that it's there. And as we hang on tightly to our thread of hope, God keeps His promises. That same day that I took the photo of the spider on the outside of the Willis Tower with the rainstorm in the background, a little bit later, that storm passed. And there was a rainbow that you can faintly see there over the city. I thought, wow, what a beautiful picture. God keeps His promises. I recently had a friend describe to me um, how a buffalo faces a storm. And I didn't, um, his, his words were that most animals flee a storm. And I would like to say that I tend to run from storms. But when you run from the storm, you know it's always at your back. When's it coming? When will it overtake me? He said a buffalo will turn and face the storm and go through it because he knows that storms don't last forever. There's an end to the storm. And the quicker to get to the end is to face it and walk through it rather than to run from it. And that gave me courage because there's a few storms that would be a lot easier to run from and ignore them and just wish they'd go away and stay far enough away from it. But God calls us to lead into storms. 
and to embrace what we would call difficult circumstances and not run from it, to go through it. And so there might be a storm that you can't avoid. Maybe it's a storm of a relationship that God's calling you to repair or um, a particularly difficult season that you're in. The only way might be to face it and go through it and know that God keeps His promises. Verse 3, it says that we glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings patience, patience experience, experience hope, and hope makes not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given to us. So the final attribute of God's grace is that we need to believe that suffering actually strengthens us. Suffering brings perseverance. Perseverance brings character. And character brings hope. Hope and trust in God's grace to keep us standing does not disappoint because God's love is poured out into our lives as verse 5 says. And so, as you think about storms, I think it's important that we acknowledge the storms that we face. And then think about what is it that our belief is in? And finally, what is it that we can rejoice about? What is the hope that's true? What is the hope that brings God glory in the midst of my storm? Because, and, and while the storm rages, hold on tightly to God's grace. And so today, whatever your storm is, whether it's around you or whether it's within you, I want to call you to continue holding on. Hold on to God's grace. Hold on to God's promises. Four very short ways that you can hold on. First of all, remember the Holy Spirit's work. What does He want to teach you? How does He want to comfort you? And yes, there are times that a storm is meant to reprove us. The Holy Spirit's work is diverse. He's, he reproves the world of sin. He's a teacher. He's a guide. He's a comforter. So remember the Holy Spirit's work. That helps you to hold on. Secondly, rely on others' input. You need support to face most storms that come your way. And they are better experienced when you're surrounded with others. Remember the love of God that's poured out in our lives. God's love runs deep. Deep and wide. East and west runs God's love. And finally, don't forget that death has been defeated. And while your storm may bring about the end of your time on this earth, even your physical life, storms take us. Remember that physical life isn't what's permanent. Eternity is what's permanent. And God's thread of grace does not stop at the stratosphere. At the stratosphere does not stop at the moon or the most distant planet. God's grace extends right into eternity. So as you hold on and make your way up His thread of grace, holding on tightly, 
The time comes when you experience the eternal reward, and that is you will get to see where the other end of that grace is anchored, the person of Jesus Christ. And eternity is in His presence. And He says, you made it home. You survived. I told you that I would hang on to my end of the rope. And you've hung on to yours. And storms do end. Let's pray. God, I want to ask that in the midst of our lives, in the midst of circumstances that I can't imagine, and that we may not even know about each other this morning, God, those circumstances at times rattle our world and shake us to the core. And I just want to pray that your blessing would rest on this congregation and this community and those that are gathered here today. And I pray that in a new way they would experience how true it is that when their confidence is in you, you do not disappoint but that your hand is steady and your grip is solid and secure. And God, teach us to hang on in the same way. God, we confess that there are days we've doubted whether what we're hanging on to is going to survive the storm. We face doubts. We face fears. There are times we, we just want to let go. Lord, would you keep us strengthened in those moments? Would you speak hope? Would you speak healing? Would you speak confidence to our hearts? Would you speak courage? Because we know that sometimes the storms we face are the way that you bring about our transfer from time to eternity. And Lord, we, we fear death at times. We don't fear the result, but the transition Wow, it's so unknown. And so we confess that we need your grace. We need to know that you're at the other end. And I pray that your word and your Holy Spirit would continue to affirm that to those that are here today. In Jesus' name.